All right, let's talk about blood pressure. Now, your body has two systems of circulation as far as blood goes. We have what we call the pulmonary circulation, and then we have the systemic. Now, which one of these two systems has more blood in it, the pulmonary or the systemic? Well, it's kind of a trick question. If you're talking about arteries, it's the same. If you're talking about veins, then it's the systemic. But no matter which one you're talking about, each one has the same amount of blood being pumped through it at the same time. Does that make sense? So for every drop of blood that gets pumped into the pulmonary circulation, you have one drop of blood being pumped into the systemic. Now, the pulmonary system is a low-pressure system, and it basically consists of your pulmonary artery, your lungs, and the pulmonic veins, and that's it. The uh, systemic is a high-pressure system, starts out at about 120 millimeters of mercury, and then as you go down into smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller capillaries, you get down to about 30 millimeters of pressure. On the other side, the venous capillaries, you get about 18, and then you go down all the way to get to the right atrium, you actually have negative pressure in the right atrium. So starts out high pressure and then gets lower and lower and lower until you get back to the heart. All right, what is a pressure gradient? What does the word gradient mean? Change from high to low. So where is blood going to go from? High pressure to low or from low to high? From high to low. So your heart generates the pressure. So where do you think the pressure is highest? And what part of the heart particularly? The ventricles. All right, and in particular, the left ventricle is the highest. The arteries will either contract or dilate to maintain pressure and drive blood flow. Now, there's three things that cause resistance to blood flow. The first one is vessel diameter. So how many of you have ever gone snorkeling? I know. How many of you have ever gone snorkeling? Raise your hand again. Okay, now, how many of you have ever tried to breathe through a straw? Is it easier to, dry, to breathe through your snorkel or through a straw? Why a snorkel? Because it's a bigger diameter. So the vessel diameter is going to decrease pressure as it gets bigger. As it gets smaller, it's going to increase pressure or resistance to blood flow. The next one is the vessel length. So if you, any of you would like to try this, go to Home Depot, get yourself a quarter inch tube, cut one that's six inches long, and cut another one that's six feet long, and try and breathe through that. Which one will be harder to breathe through, the long one or the short one? Why long? The longer it is, the harder it is to push something through it, the more force it takes. And the next one is blood viscosity. Um, get some chocolate syrup and put it inside that tube and try and suck it out. And then try and suck out some chocolate milk. Which one's going to be harder? The chocolate syrup is going to be harder than the chocolate milk. Why? Because it's thicker. All right, now, veins. The way, the way blood is going to go through veins is we're going to have most of the veins in our body go against gravity, right? 
So gravity wants to pull that blood back down to our feet, and somehow we've got to get it back up to our heart. How are we going to do that? Pressure generated by muscles. So everyone squeeze your leg muscles. Squeeze them tight and relax. Squeeze them again and relax. Squeeze them again and relax. Guess what you just did? You just increased the blood return to your heart. Now, your veins can also constrict or dilate depending on the need. So everyone take your hands, put them down by your waist. Just let them hang out there for a minute while I talk about the next one, which is one-way valves. Now, after you've been hanging your hand down for a little bit, go ahead and look at it. Do you have any veins that weren't there a few seconds ago? And if you don't have any, try looking at a neighbor's. So when you see someone who's got large veins coming out of their hands or feet, those veins can be made to go back in if they constrict. Oh, did you see, just see that? So see, so you start to get some veins going here. And then if you squeeze the hand, guess what happens? They just went away. Why? Okay. So pushing the blood up from skeletal muscles. The last thing is that our veins have one-way valves, prevent blood flow from going backwards. So what are the three ways that your veins use to get blood back to your heart? Muscle skeletal movement, venous muscle contraction, and one-way valves. All right, so here we have a picture of, here's your, your uh, left heart, left ventricle, is going to pump through your aorta down to the capillaries and then back up. The main thing that this is showing you is the difference in pressure as you go around. All right, now, regulation of cardiac output. Cardiac output we're going to call CO. It's about five liters per minute, and the formula for cardiac output is cardiac output equals your heart rate times your stroke volume. So what is heart rate? Okay, beats per minute. What's a beat? One what? Okay, one contraction and then relaxation. So. And what is a stroke volume? So every time your heart squeezes, we'll call that a, a stroke. And the amount of blood that comes out with each beat or each stroke is going to be called stroke volume. So if you take the average amount of stroke volume and you multiply that by your heart rate, you will have the amount of blood pumped in one minute. So cardiac output is measured in liters per minute. So on average, most of us beat around 70 beats per minute resting. And on average, the stroke volume is about 70 milliliters. So if you multiply 70 times 70, you end up with 4,900, which is approximately, well, it is 4.9 liters per minute, which is approximately five liters per minute. It'll go up or down depending on your resting heart rate and depending on the average stroke volume for you. 
Okay, so the question is, can you measure stroke volume without cutting a person open or putting, running a catheter up their artery? And the answer is yes. So Google this, impedance cardiography. Only if you want to. Impedance, like, like stereo impedance, I-M-P-E-D-A-N-C-E, -E, cardiography. Ography. What? You can use dyes, but that's invasive. Impedance cardiography, basically what they do is they're, they're going to wrap a conduct, uh, an electrical conductance tape around your chest above your heart and below your heart, and they measure the difference in, um, in electrical resistance between the two areas, and that lets them find out how much your heart is pumping with each beat. Fairly accurate, yes. So only Google it if you care. If you don't care, cross it out. All right, now, so let's talk about each of those components in turn. The first one was heart rate. Now, heart rate is under the control of the autonomic nervous system, which is going to innervate your SA node, or better known as the sinoatrial node or the sinus. Now, heart rate is going to increase as a result of Sympathetic stimulation, which is going to activate beta-1 adrenergic receptors. Now, in addition to the nervous system itself innervating the SA node, what else are you going to have? Anything in your blood that's going to increase heart rate? What? Epinephrine from your adrenal glands. What, is going to be, what, is the ner what are the nerves going to be releasing? Tough one. What's the neurotransmitter? Nope. Sympathetic, norepinephrine. So norepinephrine from the nerves, epinephrine from the adrenal gland, both of which are going to be stimulating the beta adrenergic receptors. Now, to decrease your heart rate, we're going to use your parasympathetic. Now, parasympathetic is going to activate muscarinic receptors. And what is the neurotransmitter now, acetylcholine. And what nerve is responsible for that? The vagus nerve. So the vagus nerve, the same one that you test for when you ask a person to open their mouth and stick out their tongue and say, ah, is going to travel down to the heart where it is going to slow down the heart. So I think we need to say that again because many of you don't look like you're with me on this and you need to be with me on this because you'll need to know this for the rest of your career here at PBA. So we'll talk about that in a minute. Well, later on. Okay, so the vagus nerve. How did we learn to test for the vagus nerve in health assessment? Stick out your tongue and say, ah. All right, that same vagus nerve, cradle nerve number 10. The reason it's called vagus is because we get the word vagrant and vagabond, which is someone who travels around, wanders around. It's going to wander around aimlessly through your body, going to your heart and then to your stomach and gut. But in the heart, what's it going to do? Slow down. All right, so that's heart rate under control of the vagus nerve, which tells it to 
slow down, and sympathetic nerves, and epinephrine, which are going to tell it to speed up. All right. Next, we're going to talk about stroke volume. Stroke volume has three components. The first component is myocardial contractility. Make a muscle. What do you have to do to make the muscle? You squeeze the muscle, right? Now, your heart is going to squeeze. The harder it squeezes, the more blood is going to come out. So, thank you for having the squeeze bottle conveniently available for me. Now, if I squeeze this a little bit, what's going to happen? If I squeeze a little bit, what's going to happen? Nothing comes out, right? I have to squeeze hard enough to make something come out, right? Now, what if I go and make a little bit and get her wet? But could I squeeze really hard and make a lot more come out? Okay, so the amount of squeeze your heart puts out is going to affect stroke volume. Now, contractility itself is impacted by two different things. One of it, we'll take the bottom one first, is sympathetic stimulation. Now, many of you were urging me, come on, squeeze it, make, get her wet. <laughs> Remember that? You were sympathetic stimulation. That was sympathetic stimulation. The, you know, you're going, come on, do it, do it. They're encouraging the heart to beat harder, stronger. How many of you have ever fired a slingshot? Or, you know, like little rubber bands, you know. Yes, I know, you're a girl, that's why you've done it. Okay, have you ever had your bra, strap, bra snapped? Okay. <laughs> now, the, the harder you pull back the bra, the more it hurts, right? So, the more, the more whatever we, it is we're stretching, the more it stretches, the more, it's go, the more force it's going to have, right? Okay. So, cardiac contractility is also influenced by stretch. And what's going to stretch our heart? The blood being inside it. So when it relaxes, it fills up with blood. If it fills up with more blood, that's going to make it compress harder because it's stretched it out. So contractility is composed of two different things. What are the two different things? Stretch, which comes from the blood inside the heart, and sympathetic stimulation. The next component we call cardiac preload. I'm going to use your bottle now. Now, this bottle has no fluid in it. Well, at least I'm pretending like it doesn't. Now, no matter how hard I squeeze, is anything ever going to come out of this empty bottle? No. no. Now, if I put a little bit of blood in this and I squeeze a lot, am I going to get a little bit or a lot? A little bit. If I put a lot in here, and squeeze it, now what's going to happen? A lot's going to come out. So the amount of blood inside the heart before it squeezes is going to influence how much can come out of it. Now let me ask you this question. When does your heart fill up with blood? During what part of the cardiac cycle? 
during diastole. So when it relaxes, it's going to fill up with blood. At the very, very end of diastole, what happens? The heart will begin to contract. So you're going to get systole. So at that very last moment, before your heart starts to contract, that's the amount of blood that's going to be inside it, and that's called preload. You have to load the system before the heart beats. So before the heart beats, we call it preload. Now, afterload, I use the same one because it has this handy-dandy little thing on top, which you can... Now, if this is closed, no matter how hard I squeeze, what's going to happen? Why? Because the bottle's closed, there, there's nowhere for that pressure to get out, right? So afterload is the amount of pressure that's held on. Now let's say that I unscrew this cap, and I'm going to point this right at Hannah, and I'm going to squeeze this really hard. What's going to happen to the cap? It's going to pop off and hit her in the face, right? Now, she doesn't want that to happen, so what happens if she puts two fingers on here and starts pushing? Go ahead, push. It's not going to happen unless I can squeeze harder than she can push, right? Now, the amount of push against the heart pumping out is called afterload. Now, what produces afterload in your body? What, where, does, where does the blood want to go? Out into the body. And to get there, it has to go through the through the aortic valve into the aorta. And what's on the other side of the aorta? Blood that's trying to push back in. So afterload is the amount of blood pressure in the aorta trying to push back in. So have you ever played the game where you've got someone on one side of a door who's trying to hold people out? And, and they keep getting more and more people to pile on until they can slam the door open. Now, if you have someone weak like me, you probably don't need much force to get it open, right? But if you have someone buff like Anthony, <laughs> you might need a few more people, right? So the amount of afterload, the amount of afterload is going to determine how much contractility is needed to squeeze and force the blood out. So in order to get our, um, in order to get our uh, stroke volume, we have those three components. We have to put blood in the heart first of all, and that's called preload. Then our heart has to begin to squeeze, and that's called contractility. And contractility is influenced by two things. What are those two things? Stretch, which was determined by our preload and sympathetic stimulation. And then the last thing is the amount of pressure holding the aortic valve closed. And what's holding the aortic valve closed is blood pressure. So now you have those three components. Which narrowing of the art that's we'll talk about that another day. All right. In fact, we're not going to talk about anything else today because we're done.